of your word. Pray now, Lord, as, as we open your word, you would open our hearts. And Lord, we want to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we want to be taught by you. Uh, we want to be encouraged. We want to be challenged. Lord, all of those things. And we know, Lord, that your word is powerful and effective. So, Lord, speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, this morning it was great to have uh, little Lucy dedicated. i got to admit, I was standing up here and I had, um, I had kind of like brown pants on and a white sort of shirt. And all I could think was, don't poo. You know, I was like, if you do this right now, well, not me, I mean Lucy. <laughs> Sarah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing what goes through your mind when you start having kids, eh? It's a whole different world. Good fun, though. Lots of fun. Hey, if you got your Bible, turn to the book of Joel. And if you haven't got your Bible, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. And we're going to read from verses 12 to 17, okay? So let's, let's just jump in and, uh, and see what we get to. Even now, verse 12, chapter 2, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with weeping, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I just want to pray just for another minute. Lord, I I just want to thank you tonight for your word. And God, I thank you that throughout history, Lord, you've given us this word from you to speak to us. And Lord, I thank you that what you said to Joel, through Joel, all those years ago, is just as relevant to us today. And so, Lord, I want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would just open our hearts, open our ears, speak to us, God. We need to hear from you, Lord. We're, we're just human, God, and we need your touch to be anything in this world. So, Father, we ask you tonight, speak to us, fill us, touch us, and change us, God. I pray that people wouldn't hear me, but they'd hear you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 2 of Joel, last week, just to give you a bit of background if you weren't here, Nick spoke on chapter 1, and chapter 1 is all about this plague of locusts that come into the land of Judah. And we're going back to, I don't know, some commentators think maybe 700 BC, sometime, a long time ago, right? But there was this literal plague of locusts that came into the land and just devastated it. All of the all of the agriculture was just wiped out. And there was also a drought going on in the land. So you can imagine what it was like living there to try and find some food or drink. It was just, it was a real hard place to be living. And also you can imagine that Judah as part of the wider Israel, I guess you could say, had been a pretty dominant force at different times throughout history. You know, they'd been the ones that had won these battles and, and, you know, and God had saved the day so many times. But now here they are and they've got nothing. They haven't even got food on the table. And can you imagine what all the other nations were saying, you know, as they're looking around at Judah? And I bet you they're looking at Judah and they're saying, where's your God now, Judah? You who used to be so strong and used to rule over us and all that kind of stuff, where's this God now you're talking about? Is he busy? Has he gone on holiday somewhere? Where is he? Can you trust him? 
doesn't look like it, Judah. Is there really a God, Judah? Are you sure there's really a God? So you can imagine this going on, and, and Joel says to the people in Judah, he says, this shouldn't be happening. People shouldn't be saying, where is God? But why was it happening? Well, the answer is in verse 12. Joel says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. You see, what had happened is that the people of God had turned away from God. They turned their back on God. They weren't interested in following him anymore. And so they turned their back on him. And as a result, God had allowed this plague of locusts to inflict the land. And God actually calls the plague of locusts his army. So it's really clear that he's actually the one that allowed this plague to happen. And you may ask yourself, you might say, well, isn't that a bit unfair, God? I mean, couldn't you have just talked to them about it? Couldn't you have just said, hey, listen, God, why don't we just, well, you know, listen, Judah, why don't we sit down, let's talk about this. I'll be God, you be Judah, you worship me, we'll all get on, you know, let's just talk about it. But the reality is, is that God had been doing that for a long, long time. He'd been sending prophets and he'd been sending judges and leaders to come to the Israelites and to the, the people of Judah and to say, turn back to me. And he's shown his loving kindness to them. So he talked to them, he'd shown them good stuff when they followed him, but still they wouldn't listen. And so finally he says, well, if you won't listen to my words and if you won't listen to the blessing that I give you, well, maybe you'll listen if I allow you to go through a trial. And so he allows them to go through this physical tragedy to try and wake them up, to shake them back into life. I love C.S. Lewis, uh, one of his quotes in that book, The Problem of Pain. Maybe you've read it. It's a very famous quote and he says this, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, Judah was deaf. They'd stopped their ears to God and they were no longer listening to him. And so God allows this tragedy to occur. And he's saying through Joel, turn back to me, Judah. Turn back to me. May I be your God again. The interesting thing is that Joel, while he's telling people, telling the Judahites to turn back to God so that this plague would, would stop and that there'd be no more plagues, that, that's true. He's saying that to them. He's saying, you know, if, if you turn back to God, life will be better. But I think there was something much more important that he was saying. And you find it in verse 17, and we read it just before, but let's read it again. Verse 17, Joel says this, Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Where is their God? You see, the reality is that what was happening is that all the nations were mocking the name of God. And they were mocking the name of God because Judah had turned against God. And so when people looked at Judah now, when all these nations looked at Judah, they would look at him, they would look at him and just say, what's the difference between you and us? There's no difference. And they scoffed the name of God. And I think if Joel was here tonight talking to us, he would say to us, just like he said to Judah, basically, when people look at your life and my life, do they see God? Or do they say, where is God? Who is God? Or do they see him in us? Do they see him in our lives? You know, we're growing up in a, in a society that doesn't acknowledge God, aren't we? 
We sing God defend New Zealand, but what does that mean? Who's the God that we're even praying to? You know, most people would say, well, I don't know. I don't know this God. And, and if I do, he could be a whole range of different gods. You know, who is this God? Friedrich Nietzsche, some of you may have read him in your studies. German philosopher and writer and a, you know, a very intelligent guy. He came up, well, he didn't come up with it, but he, I guess he expounded and, and, and put out in a much wider setting this idea of God being dead or the notion of God being dead. And in one of his writings, he wrote this story entitled The Madman. And in it, he talks about what the world would become like if the notion of God was gone, was dead. I want to read it to you, okay? This is what he says. Have you ever heard of the madman who on a bright morning lighted a lantern and ran to the marketplace, calling out unceasingly, unceasingly, I seek God, I seek God. Well, as there were many people standing about who did not believe in God, he caused a great deal of amusement. Why? Is he lost? Said one. Has he strayed away like a child? Said another. Or does he keep himself hidden? Is he afraid of us? Has he taken a sea voyage? Has he immigrated? The people cried out laughingly. Well, the insane man jumped into their midst and he transfixed them with his glance. And he said, where is God gone? He called out. I mean to tell you, We have killed him. You and I, we are his murderers. But how have we done it, he asked. How were we able to drink up the sea? Who gave us a sponge to wipe away the whole horizon? What did we do when we loosened this earth from its sun? Whither does it now move? Whither do we move? Away from all suns? Do we not dash on unceasingly, backwards, sideways, forwards, in all directions? Is there still an above? Is there still a below? Do we not stray as through infinite nothingness? Does not empty space breathe upon us? Has it not become colder? Does not night come on continually darker and darker? Shall we not have to light lanterns in the morning? Do we not hear the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do you not smell the divine decaying? For even God's decay. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him, end quote. You know, Nietzsche wasn't saying that an all-powerful being had once lived and now was dead. What he was saying was that this incredible idea of God that had given life to the West for centuries was now all spent. The idea of God was dead and the result would be a world in turmoil. And funny enough, a world that you and I live in. We're living out exactly what he was saying would happen when this idea of God was was dead. But if Nietzsche is right, and, and if the notion of God and the idea of God is dead, then why is it that I meet still a lot of people, and you probably do as well, who are still asking the question, is there a God? Where is God? Is there a God? Who is God? I don't know if you've seen that movie, Bruce Almighty, but in it, Jim Carrey receives a phone call from God, right? And on the cell phone comes up God's phone number. Now, I've got to say, I love America, okay? I've got a lot of friends who are Americans, so I'm not against America, but I have to say this would only happen in America. Because people saw that number, and they decided to ring it, to find out who they get on the other end of the phone. Now, as you can imagine, right, you ring a phone number on a cell phone from a movie, you're going to get a different place depending on what state you're in, okay? So let me tell you a couple of examples of what happened. True story. One phone number was the answering machine at Radio Colorado Network. It's an interesting place to ring. 
One woman rang and he and told the answering machine, I'm in jail right now, like I said to you last night, I love you. She promised to go straight and prayed to be able to return to her husband and children. Another caller said, hey God, I've done some really bad things in my life and I need to turn around, so please answer my prayers. It's pretty sincere. Another caller said this, I know this isn't the number for God, but I'm calling to see if you have the other number. In the final place, in San Diego, callers who used the movie number got this business cell phone number, and it was a woman by the name of Kathy Romano, and she runs a, a management practice for a whole lot of doctor's practices. And she got so sick and tired of this because she was having up to 40 calls a day ringing this number. I mean, it just amazes me that people would waste their time. But anyway, so anyway, after getting so sick and tired of this, she just thought, I'm going to play along. So she answered the phone and she said, hello, this is God. The woman on the other end of the call just was like, I can't believe it, she said. It's God and it's a woman. But the crazy thing is, right, as funny as that seems, why would that many people, I mean, I'm sure a few people just thought this would be a laugh, I'll give it a call, but there was genuinely all these people ringing up to find out maybe someone on the end might be able to point me to God. People are asking, where is God? Where is God in my life? Where is God in my family? Where is God in my relationships? Where is God in my studies? Where is God in my workplace? Where is God in my singleness? Where is God in my redundancy? Where is God in the cries of millions of children tonight who are hungry in this world? Where is God in the nations that are destroying themselves at the moment? Where is God? And Joel was saying to the people of Judah who were living in a similar time in many senses, He was saying, the way that you're living is a terrible advertisement for God. You see, the name Joel actually means the Lord is God. And Joel's desire is that when people looked at Judah, they wouldn't say, where is God? But they would say, Yahweh is God. Jehovah is God. Your Lord is God. The prophet Isaiah, he had a real similar passion to, to Joel. And, and he said it this way in Isaiah 26, 8. It's a wonderful verse. He says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. For your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Isn't that a cool verse? What about for you tonight? What's the desire of your heart? Is the desire of your heart the name and renown of God? The name and renown of God. Do you know, I remember when, um, when night service started, it must be like almost 13, 14 years ago now, and there was a bunch of us who used to get together in a flat, and we would just come together and pray together and worship together, and it was amazing times, and, and that started to sort of flow over, I guess, into these services. And we've met in a whole lot of places before we got to this incredible building, but we used to meet um, in a little office block, and it used to be packed, man, and it had low ceilings, and the place felt like it was going to take off. And we had some interesting times in there. We used to have the, <laughs> we used to have this time called community time, and basically what it was was that we was a free mic, and you could come up to the front and basically just share any need. Like maybe you needed, a, you were going up to Palmerston, you needed a lift, so you just say, "I'm going to Palmy." Someone would come up to you afterwards and say, "I'm going to Palmy. I'll give you a ride." But it ended up becoming like trade and exchange. And like there's one guy got up there one night and he got up and he said, um, uh, I've got, I'm looking for the back end of a Honda CRX. <laughs> it's like, okay. 
The next week he got up and he said, I'm selling the front end of a Honda CRX. <laughs> I had another night when there was a guy at the front here who came up and he started praying and, and, and talking and after a while he revealed to us that he was Jesus. That was a tricky night and had to sort of come alongside him and just talk to him about that and we worked through that one. But I tell you what, we had some amazing times there. We had some amazing times there. But the reason I tell that is we were a bunch of young people in our sort of early study days and we ended up meeting next door here actually in the in the old James Cabaret. It was like a nightclub and then on Sundays we'd meet there for church and we used to pack into this little room at the back for prayer beforehand and man, it was pumping this room, eh? it was awesome. And then we'd go out and just have this amazing time of worship and, and praise and God did some incredible things. But at that stage in my life, I was just so passionate, I still am now, but it was something real unique at that time, of being passionate that when people looked at my life and looked at the lives of my friends, they would say, there's God. There's God in their lives, there's God in their midst. And they would come into our services and they would say, there is something different here. And it was the presence of God. And I was reminded tonight before the service, the story of Elisha and Elijah. And you know when Elijah is just about to be taken, you may know the story, but he gets taken off to heaven in this chariot of fire. It's incredible. But just before he goes, he's handling on his his work, his mantle to Elisha. And Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah, and he is now going to become the great uh, prophet, I guess you could say, or leader to the nation of Israel. But once Elijah goes, and Elisha's all on his own, Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak. And he walks back to the river that he'd just come through with Elijah. And he had seen Elijah go up to these rivers before and put his staff or his cloak in the river and see the river part and they'd walk through. But now Elisha's all on his own. And he goes up to this river and he cries out, Where now is the God of Elijah? And he puts his cloak in the water and the staff and the water separates. And God's power rests on Elisha, just like it did on Elijah. But in fact, it rests in a double portion, the Bible says. A double portion. And I just really felt that God wanted to say to you guys today that I reckon it's time again for like another refreshing, another breath of God again to come on your lives. And for some of you to lift up your hand and to go to Nick and Sarah and Josh and Helena and the other leaders here at the street and to say, we want to see the God of Elijah again. We want to see the God of Elijah again. We want to have times on a Sunday night and times in our workplaces and in our study places where God is just moving in power. And we want to, as a, as a, as a gathering of people, we want to seek the Lord together. Because that's what we used to do when I was your age. We would come together with a whole bunch of mates and seek God. And I tell you what, he did some incredible things. But the interesting thing is this. Elisha said, where now is the God of Elijah? But I reckon the question for you is where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God? Are you going to be one of those? Are you going to be one that when people look at your life, they say, there's God. I see God in that person. Because the choice is yours. You can either just live your life, do your study, go to your workplace, have kids, die. You know, it's a kind of cool life. But are you actually going to make a difference in this world for Jesus? You've got an opportunity. And that's exactly what Joel was saying to Judah. He was saying, guys, it's time for you to stand up and come back to God.
And the message that Joel had for Judah is very simple. is If you want people to look at your life and to say, there's God in that person's life, then the message is very simple. There's two things to do. The first one we find in verse 12. He says, return to me with all your heart. See, if you want people to look at your life and to say, God is in that person's life, or there must be a God because of what I see in that person's life, then what you've got to ask yourself is that if God is here, are you walking with him or are you walking the other way? Because if you're walking the other way, then Joel says to you tonight, pull the handbrake, turn around and go back to God. And you know, to return to God, a wise woman said to me this week, it only takes one step. You just got to turn and take a step. And as you take that step, God will bridge the difference. And you start to walk with God again. That's what it means to repent. You know, we use this word repent. What does it mean? It means to pull the handbrake, turn 180 degrees, and go back to where you were before. Go back to God. Get into relationship with God. Turn back to Him. It's just the first thing is to turn. But the second thing is that He says in verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. What does that mean? Well, in Jewish culture, if you were remorseful or you were saying sorry, one of the ways you would show that is by tearing your garments. And that was a visual picture that that you were saying, hey, I've done something wrong and I want to turn back to God. But Joel was very wise because what he realized is that it's really easy to rip your jeans, right? It's really easy to tear your garments. But you can tear your garments, he realized, without ever turning your heart And you know, it's similar for us. We can come into church on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning and and often we invite people to come to the front here and to stand or to kneel and, and to commit their lives again to God. And that is a great thing to do. And often that physical thing of actually getting out of your seat and coming to the front is actually really helpful because it kind of, I don't know, just twigs something in your brain and in your heart. We've also got to be quite careful with that. Because you can come up the front here every single night for the rest of the Sundays that you're going to live on this earth. And you can get on your knees, and you can cry, and you can sing all the songs, you can pray all the prayers, you can have communion, you can even get baptized. And guys, all of that will only ever be a tearing of your clothes, unless there's a turning of your heart. And so Joel says to you tonight, and I want to challenge you, have you turned your heart towards God? ever. And maybe you did it a long time ago, but you realize now that you are actually walking just like Judah was in the opposite direction. Tonight, will you turn around and will you come back to God? You know, God hates nothing more, I reckon, than religious acting. He hates it. Religion that's just about acting and just doing stuff. It's so not God. He's so into relationship. He's so into that personal touch. And Joel was saying to Judah, it's time to stop playing religion. It's time to give your whole heart to God. But the interesting thing is, I think in Judah, just like I reckon probably here tonight, there were people sitting there listening to Joel and they were saying, yeah, but that's not for us. Okay, That's like that's like for the staff to do, all right? They're like the professional Christians. We're the guys that actually, you know, we, we don't need to do that. We'll leave that to Josh, okay? He can return with all his heart and we'll just hang out for the ride. And I bet you there were people in Judah saying exactly the same. And the reason I think that was the case is because Joel talks to those people. You look at verse 15, verse 16, okay? 
He says this, gather the people. So who's the people? Well, the people, funnily enough, are the people, okay? It's like all the people. But still someone's sitting there going, yeah, but I'm not one of the people. I'm like, I'm not from this place. I'm different. I'm not a real person. So, you know, so Joel says, okay, well, if you don't think you're one of the people, let me talk to you about some other things that you might fit into. So he says, bring together the elders. So that's the old dudes, all right? The wise people, the old people. So bring together all the people, and if you don't think you're one of the people, well, maybe you're an old person, so you come. You're like, okay, well, I'm not an old person, so that doesn't that doesn't relate to me. So then he says, okay, well, then gather the children, and not just like the 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds. I want you to go all the way down to those who are still nursing at the breast, the infants, like my little Lucy, okay? So you've got the oldest person and the youngest person need to come back and return to God. But there's still someone sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, but it still doesn't apply to me because I just got married, okay? And in, in, in the times back there, okay, if you lived in, in the Jewish times back then, if you got married for the first year, you didn't basically have to do anything apart from be with your wife. Now, that actually sounds quite appealing, okay, if you just got married. But the reality was is that you, were, you didn't have to do military service. You didn't have to do any civil duty. You were off the hook. So those guys are sitting there saying, yeah, but look, we haven't got time to return to God. We've got to be married for a year and learn about all that stuff, okay? He's saying, no, no. He says, I want you to get the bridegroom and get him out of his room, which is quite hard for a new groom. Get him out of his room <laughs> and the bride her chamber. So basically, he's gone through everyone and he said, there's no excuses. If the nations of the world are going to look at Judah and say, there is God, the Lord is God, Yahweh is God, then every single one of you, Judah, needs to come and return to God with all your heart. And in the same way, if the world is going to look at the church and take seriously our message that there is a God who loved them and died for them, then it's going to take more than the professionals to come back to God. It's going to take every single one of us to turn to him every single day. This is not a once in a lifetime turning. This is every day turning your face towards God and saying, God, I want to live for you. As we come to a close, you might think to yourself, but James, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how much I've lost. How could God ever allow me to turn back to him? And and even if I did... How's he going to use me now? Well, think about the people in Judah who have lost everything. And what did God say to them? Well, it's a lovely verse. Look at verse 25. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. And listen to this. Then you will know that I am in Israel and what? That I am the Lord your God. I don't know what you've been through, guys. I don't know where you're at right now in your life. But there is nothing too difficult for God to restore to you what has been stolen before. He wants to restore to you. He wants to use you again. He wants to bless you. You know, God isn't waiting to punish us. It's not like he's this God with a stick who is just saying, I can't wait to punish these people. No, what does he say? Look at verse 13. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents 
from sin and calamity. Yes, he sends it when he needs to. And if you don't turn to him, there will be a day coming when you have to stand before him and give an account for your life. But right now, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time when God wants you to know him as a compassionate, gracious, merciful God. Paul says in Romans 2.4, he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? God is saying, guys, I want to show you my kindness. I want to help you turn around. I want to help you walk back to me. I want to help you live a life that people look at you and say, there is a God because I can see him at work in that person's life. Joel says to the people in verse 14, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Wonderful thing is this, is that Jesus went a step further than Joel, I think. He didn't say maybe, he said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He gave you a promise. And the promise is, is that if you turn to him, You can have a relationship with him. And you can have a relationship that is abundant, is full. Life lived out to the full. But the choice is yours and the choice is mine. Will we live that life? Will we turn to God and turn our lives over to him? Because if we want to, then Joel tells us what we need to do. In verse 32, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to turn, the only way to turn is not by doing a whole lot of good stuff. That'll get you nowhere. The only way to turn is to call on the name of Jesus, God's Son, and to say, Jesus, I need your help to turn around and walk back to you. And why do we need God's help? Why do we need Jesus' help to do that? Because quite frankly, I'm a person that always falls short of God's standard. And that makes me what the Bible calls a person who sins. And because of that sin, because of that falling short of God's standard, there's always going to be this gap between me and God unless someone bridges the gap. And the Bible says is that the only way to bridge that gap is if someone gives their life for all the wrong stuff I've done. And that's pretty full on. Because if I give my life for all the wrong stuff I've done, then I'm going to be dead and I'm never going to have a relationship with God, right? So the solution is, is he sends his son Jesus, dies on a cross, and he takes my place. And he bridges the gap so that I can walk over. And what the Bible says is that God made his son Jesus become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, all of Jesus' righteousness, his rightness gets given to me. And all of my sin, all of my wrong stuff gets paid for on the cross that Jesus died on. And so to call on the name of the Lord is to say, okay, God, I believe you from what you've said about your cross and I want you to pay the price for my sin and I want to walk with you. And tonight you can do that. And I want to finish now by just sharing a story about a guy, a poem, that a soldier from Vietnam wrote because he got to a point in his life where he realized that he was walking away from God and that he needed to turn. And I want to read you his poem as we close. This is what he wrote. Lord God, I have never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist, and like a fool, I believed all this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. 
Had I taken the time to see the things you made, I'd have known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you'll take my hand. Somehow I feel that you'll understand. Funny I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you're near. The signal. Well, God, I'll have to go. I like you lots. I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly to you before, I wonder, God, if you'd wait at your door. Look, I'm crying, I'm shedding tears. I'll have to go now, God, goodbye. Strange now, since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. You know, maybe you've been told all your life that God isn't real. But maybe still you're wondering, where's God? Is there a God? Well, God says to us today that he's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. And whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, the most important thing that you could ever do is turn your whole heart over to him, that your life as a whole may be seen by the world and people would say, there's God in that person's life. Is that your desire? Do you want people to see Jesus in you? Then call on his name. Return to him. And I encourage you, get together with a bunch of people here or somewhere else who know Jesus and pray and start saying, God, pour out your spirit in our time. Where are the Elijahs of God? Will you be one of them? Let's pray for a minute, eh? Dear Lord, I want to thank you tonight that your message to Judah is still so relevant to me and to every person in this room right now, two and a half thousand years later. God, you haven't changed, and the funny thing is, neither is humanity. Lord, we keep straying, we keep messing up, but you keep saying, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I love you. God, I thank you so much for that, because I need it. I need your help every day. And Lord, I just want to pray for people here tonight. God, I want to ask that, Lord, if there's anyone here who just needs to turn back to you again. Help them to do that. Why don't we take a moment, just keep your eyes shut for a second, have a moment just where you have a think about what we've heard tonight through the Word of God, through His Bible. And I want you to think tonight, do I need to turn to God? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. Is that you? Just have a think for a minute, okay? And allow God just to speak to your heart. Maybe tonight you'd like me to pray for you and just to pray that God would help you to really turn to him. And if that's you tonight, if you're saying, yeah, James, I'd just love you to pray for me. I need, I need God's help to turn to him. Then I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you here from just standing up here. I'd also love to pray for you afterwards. But just so I can pray for you now, if you're just saying, hey, James, I'd just love 
to help, you know, please just pray that God would help me to turn back to him. Why don't you just raise your hand quickly and I just want to pray for you tonight if that's you. If you're saying, God, I just want to turn to you. Thank you. Anyone else? That, yep, awesome. Yep, cool. Cool. Brilliant. Anyone else? Just as a sign to God that you're saying, yeah, yeah, awesome. Cool. God sees you, eh? When you when you say that, He takes it real seriously. He takes it real seriously. And so let's pray, eh? Let's pray that God would help you this week, today, tonight, to turn to Him and to walk with Him. Father, you have seen the desire of people's hearts tonight, shown by just a simple act of putting up their hand. But Lord, as we said earlier on tonight, to turn to you only takes one step. And so Lord, I want to pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that God, you would anoint these guys. Lord, and give them, uh, give them your strength, your power, your determination to turn to you. Jesus, give them what they need tonight. Holy Spirit, encourage them and inspire them and empower them, Lord. And I just want to thank you for tonight. Lord, as we come to share communion now, God, I pray that, well, we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you. We want to thank you, Lord, that communion reminds us of what we've been talking about, that you died and you rose again so that we can have life, so that we can turn back to you. And so, Lord, tonight we just want to thank you as people who, from the bottom of our hearts, are grateful to a God who loved us and died for us. We say we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.